for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Right, good morning. Um, we are we're coming to the end of our, our series on time, so you will know by now that every month through the year we've been looking at a different topic. Again, we've not, we'll not go through what they all are because I can't remember all of them, but, but in August we've been looking at time. Um, based on the opening passage of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So over the last few weeks, um, Tom Stewart, Tom McVicker and Jack have all looked at um, the ideas of using time wisely, dealing with um, different seasons of honouring God with our time. And, uh, and this week it's a falls to me to round off um, our, our, looking, our, our consideration of time. Um, and I'm going to just take a slightly different um, approach, slightly different angle, and, and I hope the reasons for that um, will become clear. But first of all, um, there's nothing on the screen this morning, but if you've got a Bible, if you want to open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, I'll just read through the whole passage again. If you've been here for the last three weeks, you'll know it off by heart by now, but I will, uh, I'll read through it. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And then this next verse is the one that I've been given to focus on this morning, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that um, you would speak to us this morning. Let my words be your words. Let um, what I say this morning um, communicate with everybody. Father God, I know you have a message for us today, and don't let me get in the way of that, Lord. Let's have more of you and less of me this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. Right, so um, in, my, in my normal life, I'm a teacher, some of you know that, and, and there's a technique um, that I like to use in teaching. It comes in really handy uh, most days. And, uh, and what happens, what you do is um, when you're teaching a lesson, you've got a kind of plan for what you want to do and where you want to go and, and what you're going to teach the kids. Um, quite often, there's a, a little child at the back of the room who um, is, is misbehaving and is, is not getting it right, is looking for attention, is, is messing around a little bit, and, uh, and just wants to sort of derail your lesson, wants to derail where you're going. And, uh, and there's this revolutionary idea in teaching, and it's got a name, it's a real thing, it's called tactical ignoring. And, and the principle is that you just let him crack on and hope he goes away, right? Because you won't be deviated from your, your plans. There might come a time that you deal with him, but, but first port of call, ignore him. He just wants attention. And if you're a parent, you'll know that very same technique from uh, whenever you want to sit down. Um, the other week, I'd spent a long morning with, uh, with Toby, and it was, it was a sunny day, but I looked out into the garden, and I noticed that he was, um, he'd poured a bucket of muddy water onto the ground and was sitting in it, quite happily playing with his toys. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I really should go and deal with that, because he needs a change of trousers and, and wants sorting out. But he's so happy, and I'm sitting down. And I deserve to stay here and drink my tea. So, um, so I just tactically ignored it. Um, if you're not a parent, you'll know this from, from any time that you sit down to watch Netflix and the phone rings. Tactically ignoring. Just pretend it didn't happen. Right? And then you get an easy life. It's great. The problem is, when we do that with the Bible, and we get to a bit of the Bible that, 
that looks a little bit tricky or it doesn't necessarily tally with what we think we know about God. And, and it's a little bit hard. And so we just tactically ignore it. We pretend it didn't happen. And this verse, that verse in Ecclesiastes, a time to um, love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, is so easy just to slide on over, just to ignore it. Because it falls in that nice pattern of time for this, time for that, time for that, bum ba dum bum ba dum bum ba dum time for war, time for but and you just move on. But actually when you when you look at it, it's a little bit confusing. It isn't necessarily all that appealing. It's a bit controversial. And there are two sides to that verse. There are two ideas or a few ideas discussed, and I'm gonna do my best to talk about all of it um, today. Because if I just preached about love and peace, if I just took the easy bit. I probably wouldn't tell you anything particularly new, wouldn't tell you anything particularly revolutionary. Love God, love each other, great, done. If I ignored hate, if I ignored war, you'd go home with more questions than answers. Because we've seen it, it's there. So a little disclaimer before I really start. Um, I'm going to use the word hate a lot this morning. And it might sound a little bit negative, but please bear with me. It's not. I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just going to warn you that's going to happen. Um, but my prayer is that as we unpack the verse, as we unpick it a little bit, God will speak to us. The first thing to say, and this has been um, covered already, Tom said this a few weeks ago, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is um, it's about a man, and we, all the evidence says that man is Solomon, who is searching for meaning in his life. He's, he's lived all of life, he's experienced its highs, he's experienced its lows, and he's in the process of writing up his findings, and he's giving advice to the reader about the meaning of life. And as part of that, in chapter 3, we've got this list of all sorts of things that, that happen in life. Birth, death, suffering, healing, weeping, laughter, love, hate, war, peace. And the important thing is that none of that is instruction. None of those things are commands. He's not saying that we need to make time in our lives to hate. It's not an instruction. He's just saying... These are things that we need to accept as facts of life. These are things that happen. They're inevitable. It doesn't comment really on whether any of it is good or bad, necessarily. It's just a fact of life. We all hate something, or we will hate something, or we have hated something. And that's the uncomfortable truth. And when I was, uh, when I was given this verse to speak on, um, Jack divided up the, the bits of Ecclesiastes, and, uh, and this was my assignment. And the, the first thing I did was, uh, was looked it up in the Hebrew, because uh, I was kind of hoping, if I'm honest, that when I looked it up in the Hebrew, I'd find that it didn't really mean hate. I was hoping that I could water it down a little bit. There are examples of hate being used in the Bible where it, it, talk, it means it in terms of like a preference, you know, loving one, hating the other, and it doesn't quite mean hate in the way that we understand it. And I thought, maybe I've got an in here. Maybe I can, I can take the edge off. So I looked it up in the Hebrew, and, uh, and the Hebrew word for hate in this context is, in fact, hate. Like to detest, to turn against something, to reject something. It's, uh, it's the same word as uh, the word used in Genesis um, to talk about um, how Joseph's brothers feel about him. They really genuinely hated him. He wasn't just the least favorite brother. It wasn't just that they only invited him to hang out out of courtesy, but they didn't really like him. They, feel left out. they really, they hated him. They never wanted to see him again. They, they wanted him to die, most of them. So when Ecclesiastes says there's a time to hate, that's, that's big news. That's worth 
some consideration. That's serious. And the, the danger is that, like so many of the other things in that list, we can get the timings wrong. We can hate the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, in the wrong moment. And uh, just so you, so you know where we're going with this and so you're still with me, um, in about five minutes, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the, the good way to hate. That's my first bombshell of the morning. There is a good way to hate and we will get there. Right, I'll tell you about it soon. But before we get there, we need to consider and we need to talk about the bad ways to hate. Because we all, we all do it. We all hate something. Right? And I know that's true because it's in the Bible. So don't argue with me. Right? You, we do. Right? And sometimes there's, a, there's a, sort of a figurehead or an idea or a, a, a person that we can direct that hatred at. Right? Some people really go nuts on fracking. Um, some people hate animal cruelty. Some people hate um, a particular political party or, or ideology or public figure. Um, and, and there are so many examples of people all throughout history, um, people who, who often to our shame profess to be Christians, who direct their hate at um, people of a certain race or sexuality or gender. And, and what we hate might be something like that, right? but it might not be a person. It might not be something as tangible. And I think it's more likely that when we hate, what we hate is something a little bit more internal, We might turn that hate in on ourselves, that we hate um, maybe the way we look or something about our personality. Maybe you can't bear to be in front of a mirror or or you you spend your days after you've kind of had a social interaction picking over something that you've said and and agonizing about it and feeling ashamed or embarrassed. Maybe you compare yourself to other people and you come up short. Maybe, and, and more in line with the last few weeks, you just hate the season of life that you're in. Maybe you're just... You're plowing on, desperate for it to end, but constantly in the back of your mind, there's this, this nagging hatred of your life that you're, you're constantly plotting out. Can I, can I get out of this? Is there another career? Is there another way? Can I, what else could my life look like? Daydreaming about a different set of circumstances. And it can be perfectly easy to make a case for why you are right to hate something. We'd have to justify ourselves, and so often our hate can feel like righteous anger. Sometimes the hate is absolutely, inarguably irrational or judgmental. Right? There are examples of hate that is unacceptable. But one thing is true of all of it. It's all absolutely destructive. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There's a reason why that verse comes in two halves. And there's a reason why they've been put together, why they belong together. What's happening on the inside will overflow. And your, your internal thoughts will become external actions. Jesus says in Luke 6:45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So the things that are in your heart will come out of it. And I'm not necessarily saying that love is good and hate is evil. I'm not making that connection, but, but the condition of your heart will influence your actions. What you hate, what you spend your time hating, is what you will go to war with. You will be at peace with the things that you love, and you will go to war with the things that you hate. You will spend your time on the things that you hate. 
It can dominate your thoughts. It can consume your life. And there are so many examples in the news and in the media of, of hate, and especially that self-hatred leading to depression and self-harm and suicide. It, in extreme cases, hate pushes people into militant activism, and it, it's been responsible for oppression and marginalization and genocide. But hate, in whatever form, demands action. It is violent, it's aggressive, it's destructive, it's dangerous. And misplaced hate is the enemy of time. It will consume every minute that you've been given. And that's about as negative as it gets. We're on the up from here. Because it's clear from Ecclesiastes that despite all that, there is a time for it. So how do we get that right? How do we manage to channel something so destructive? What is that, what is that statement doing in the Bible? Because although we don't get to choose whether or not we hate, that's a, it's a fact of life, we can, I believe, decide what we hate. And as Christians, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how do we hate like God does? And when I was preparing, I came to a point where I, I realized that I was going to have to say that, and, uh, and I felt really uncomfortable about it. Because I think sometimes... Uh, and for, for some of us, our understanding of God can be a, a little bit flawed. We, we like to imagine that God is this totally loving, cheerful, sort of Santa in the sky kind of figure. And the truth is that's not what the Bible shows us. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is always good. But there are things that God hates. There are things that grieve him. There are things he turns against. And if we ignore those things, we don't just misrepresent who God is. We miss out on really understanding his character, and we miss the opportunity to know him better and to become more like him. And it doesn't take too much digging to identify what God hates, because God loves. God loves his creation. He loves us because he loves for us to be in a relationship with him and to give him glory, and he hates anything that stands in the way of that. There's a list in Proverbs 6 of all the things that God hates. There are, um, Proverbs 6, uh, verse 16 to 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. To put that in simple terms, pride, lying, murder, thinking of evil stuff to do, doing the evil stuff, lying again, and doing more evil stuff, right? Don't be evil. That's the message. But even more simply, God hates sin. God hates the schemes of the enemy. We know that hate is a destructive force, and it leads to war. But Ephesians 6 verse 12 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we can direct that hate. We can direct that war at the enemy. At the powers of evil that are trying to rob you of the life that God has for you. Direct your hate at the sin in your life that needs to be destroyed. Whatever that is, whatever form that takes, that is where you direct your energy. Completely reject, turn away from, detest, abandon, destroy, hate the thing that feels like it drives a wedge between you and God. Whatever it is that might make you reluctant to pick up your Bible or, or embarrassed to pray. Whether it's something that you, you do or say or a pattern of thinking. If there's something keeping you 
from enjoying relationship with God, Satan is wasting your time. And it's time to go to war. And there are ways of doing that. The, the Bible is full of advice for how we go to war with the enemy. Be on your guard against sin. In 1 Peter, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So be on your guard. Know your areas of weakness. 2 Corinthians says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And when you get stuck in those, that pattern of negative thinking, that um, maybe there's the certain thoughts going in a certain direction, you can tell yourself, no, I'm taking these thoughts captive. I'm not having it. In 1 Timothy, we're told to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and fight the good fight of faith. So when the enemy tries to tear you down, to tempt you with a a sinful act or a sinful thought or something negative, remind yourself of the truth that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but also that we're in a war. And we don't want to mingle with the enemy. We need to be consciously disciplined. We need to hate and reject those things that lure us into sinful or into negative patterns of behavior. It's not always especially fashionable to talk about sin. It doesn't, it doesn't really make us feel very nice. It's not what we like hearing about, but it's so important. Because if we don't hate our sin, if we don't acknowledge our sin, and if we're not at war with the sin in our lives, then it's so easy to forget how Deeply and how desperately we need the saving and redeeming and sanctifying love of Jesus. And the result of that is that we love him less. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in in Luke 7, there's a story of Jesus having dinner with a Pharisee. And uh, and a woman shows up, and she's most likely a prostitute, and and she um, spends the whole time lavishing Jesus with love and with affection. And uh, and the Pharisee takes issue with this, and he just thinks to himself, this is, not, this is not right. If Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't be standing for this. But the Pharisee had overlooked some of those things. He'd, he'd not washed Jesus' feet when he came, and he'd not provided some of those basic um, things that were expected at the time. And Jesus' response to the Pharisee is that this woman knew how much she had been forgiven, and therefore she loved much. The Pharisee who didn't acknowledge his sin, he didn't engage with it, he didn't think he really needed Jesus, loves Jesus less. And when we don't acknowledge our sin, when we don't engage with that, we're like the Pharisee who feels that we've got less to be forgiven for, and so we love Jesus less. So it's time to acknowledge the sin in our lives and to hate it. It's healthy and it's good to acknowledge our sin, to consider the consequences. It's good to hate the sin in our life. But only, only when we understand that there is also good news. Because there is forgiveness. And if you're a Christian, you've been forgiven. If you're not a Christian, you can be forgiven of all of it and of everything. You've been forgiven for so much. And perhaps God is calling you this morning to love much. Perhaps God is inviting you into deeper intimacy with him this morning. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've been hating the wrong thing. Particularly if you've been internalizing that hate, if you've been turning it on yourself, if you've gone to war with yourself, if you've rejected and detested yourself. You're not alone in that. Paul in Romans says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
But his conclusion is that it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. So hating your sin does not mean hating yourself. A great tool of the devil is to make you think that you are too terrible, too sinful, too irredeemable to be worthy of God's time or attention, to be worthy of anyone's love or affection. But don't let self-hatred rob you of anything more. Don't give up any more time to self-loathing. Don't leave this morning, if that's you, without doing that business with God. Because I've talked a lot about hate, but God is first and foremost a God of love. And he has love in abundance to pour out on you. Maybe you've forgotten to hate the sin in your own life. Maybe you're at the other end of that spectrum and you actually don't feel like you're doing too badly. Thank you very much. My challenge to you, if that's you this morning, is to ask God to show you how much you have been forgiven. Don't be like the Pharisee who loves little. There is so much more for your relationship with Jesus. There's so much more for your love for Jesus. You have been forgiven for much. Don't miss out this morning on loving much. Father God, thank you that you know us intimately. Thank you that you have forgiven much. And Lord Jesus, I ask that you would bring our hearts into line with yours this morning. Help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. We turn away from the the sin in our lives this morning and we thank you for the forgiveness that is in Jesus. I just ask this morning, Lord, that you would show us how much we've been forgiven and increase our capacity to love you. Lord, we want relationship with you. We want to love you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about our church, or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcentre.com.